Good morning, church. We stand and worship with us this morning.
Welcome, welcome to Hopevale. Um, we do a thing here called the meet and greet. Um, if you're new, um, don't be scared if somebody just turns and starts shaking your hand or arm. Um, that's what we do. I'm sorry. So go ahead, turn to somebody and wish them a wonderful Sunday. Well, good morning again, everybody. You can go ahead and have a seat. My name is Adam Harbaugh. I'm the outreach pastor here at Hopevale. And I just want to extend a special welcome to everybody, but especially if you're visiting us here at Hopevale for the first time, just want to say welcome. So glad that you decided to be here this morning and give us a shot. And, and most importantly, to just worship God together. And uh, if, if you have been around for Hopevale for a shorter period of time, we want to encourage you to check out our Get to Know Hopevale class. Uh, this uh, is going to be next Sunday at 1230 in the venue. You can sign up for that at the Welcome Center right in the middle of the lobby. And that class just kind of does three things. It, it helps give you an idea of who we are, what we believe, and, and really how you fit into life and ministry here at Hopevale. We would love to see you jump in and get more involved here as you explore what God has for you and your life. Well, hey... Um, in just a second, we're, we're going to watch a recap video of our Haiti mission trip. We got back very early last Sunday morning, and uh, God just did some really cool things through that trip. There was a group of 12 of us who went to Wanamanth, Haiti to partner with our outreach partner, uh, Institution Univers. And, you know, if you can picture, uh, this, this is a ministry that is about 2,500 students from K to grade 13. And they also have a medical clinic. It's a pretty impressive undertaking in the city of Wanamanth. And started 25 years ago with the vision of really uh, implementing change in their country through education and, and just sharing and spreading the gospel to people. And it's, it's really turned into an incredible ministry. And we just had a, a privilege to go and partner with them in that way as they prepare for their 25-year anniversary next year. Uh, we spent some time painting some classrooms and just really improving the, the grounds of the facility. And in addition to that, we put on a pastor's conference and uh, just a, a little over 170 pastors came from all over Haiti to receive, receive training and resources so that they could be equipped to go back to, to their towns, their communities, their churches, and effectively spread the gospel to the people of Haiti. So just really excited about uh, how God used us on that trip. And uh, without saying anything more, just take a look at the screens. I want to show you that video. La Bible pone que la cuarta. Si yo asimo, si yo pone que fue, me que fue la papua. Je dis à ma disposé merci. Parce qu'elle donne la foi. Et je voulais témoigner publiquement pour me dire oui. Moi, quoi? Yeah. 
song still kind of gets me choked up even as I, as I hear it now. Um, it was such a privilege to, to go and to serve our partner there and see the way that God is at work there and just the opportunity that we have to partner with them in that. And, uh, you know, if you've ever considered a, a Hopevale mission trip, we do have another team uh, coming up this July to go serve our partner in the Dominican Republic. So if that's something that maybe God is laying on your heart to be a part of, I would encourage you to visit us at the info desk this morning. We'd love to tell you more about that. I want to invite the ushers to come forward now as we prepare to give. And, you know, really, um, I, think, I think that video kind of captures a little bit of, of what we're all about the heart and, and the, the intention behind ministry here at Hopevale. You know, our, our heart and desire is to serve. Our desire is to equip and train others so that the gospel can be shared in a very relevant and real way to people's lives. And so just, you know, a, just a small glimpse into what giving at Hopevale goes to accomplish and so as we prepare to give this morning, I just want to encourage us that, you know, God is at work and he's using our gifts to really further the kingdom, not only here in Saginaw, but around the world as well. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for who you are and how you, how much you love us and how you are at work in the world all around us. God, and it is such a privilege that you have invited us into your story of sharing the good news of who Jesus is with the world. God, and we want to respond to that calling with our lives. God, so whether that's as we go to work and school and interact with neighbors right here in our own backyard, or God, you're calling us to expand our vision of where and how you're at work around the world. God, we just want to make ourselves available to all that. God, we want to give towards that so that you can use your church to reach the world with the good news of Jesus. So Lord, as we give, just we pray a blessing over these gifts and offerings that you would just take and use them to the most effective ways possible so that others can know how much you love them, how much you have done for them, and how much you want to see the world respond to what you have done for us. God, we love you, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
Jesus, Jesus, my heart will sing no other name. and our prayer today that our hearts would sing to our Savior Jesus and no other. You guys can go ahead and have a seat. And once a month at Hopevale, uh, we take time to uh, celebrate communion together where we remember the death of Jesus on the cross for us. And as I was kind of thinking and reflecting on, on what to share this morning, and I was thinking back to, to our Haiti trip a little bit and just some of the things that God was laying on my heart during that time. And uh, uh, one of our staff groups, we've been reading through kind of a devotional book that poses a question to us and then uh, lets us reflect on, on scripture in terms of what it says about that question. And as we were driving around Haiti, I mean, you, the culture is so different, right? And there's so much poverty, there's so much need. It's very stark, it's very real, and it's right in front of your face. You can't miss it. As we looked at all of these people and we interacted and we talked with them, got to know them and some of the needs of their, their culture, their country, uh, the question that kept coming back to me is this. It's what is our only hope in life and death? What is our only hope in life and death? And there's so, so much that can, can separate us because of our differences compared to American culture and Haiti and things like that. But, you know, it was the reminder to me that at the heart of it, we are all children of God. We are all created in his image and we all need just one thing. So the answer to that question is, 
What is our only hope in life and death? It's this, that we are, are not our own. We're not our own, but we belong body and soul, both in life and death, to God and to our Savior, Jesus Christ. At the heart of it, that is what it's all about. That is where we find our one and only hope. And it's true for each and every one of us in this room, and it's true for each and every person in Haiti, and it's true for each and every person across the entire globe. No matter what their background is, no matter what country they're from, no matter what their skin color is, none of that matters. We all belong to God, and the only hope we have is found in our Savior, Jesus Christ. We are God's, and Jesus is our Savior. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 21 says this, that for our sake he made him, Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And so as we reflect and we remember on the death of Jesus today, I just, I just want to direct our attention and our focus to Jesus and what he's done for us and how our response to what he has done for us is that recognition that, that we are his. We're called to live for him because we love him, because of what he has done for us. So as we prepare to take communion this morning, just a couple of instructions that I want to give. You know, here at Hopevale, we say that you don't have to be a member of this church to participate. The only encouragement is that you are a Christian the way that the Bible describes it, that you've come to that personal place of placing your faith, your hope, your trust in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins, and that, that you love him and that you do have that desire to follow him with your life. And so if Jesus is not your savior, we would just ask you out of respect, we'll let the elements pass you by as they go down the rows. And we don't say that to single you out or put you on the spot or anything like that, but just to ask that out of respect for what we're doing and what Christ has done, that if it's not real and personal for you, that you wouldn't participate and just pass the elements along the line. Uh, and any parents with kids in the room, just, we trust your discretion on that to know your kids' hearts, uh, to know if they've come to that place of saving faith in Jesus for themselves. So having just kind of said some of those things, at the same time, I want to be clear that uh, taking communion this time that we have together is not meant to be exclusive at all. You know, quite, quite the opposite. What Jesus did for the entire world was inherently inclusive. He did it out of love and he did it out of his grace so that we would all feel uh, the confidence to approach his throne of grace. And so that is the invitation to everybody. If you've never placed your faith and your hope and your trust in Christ, you have the ability to do that maybe for the very first time today. So I would encourage you to consider making that commitment to the one who loves you and has given his life for you and for the forgiveness of your sins. So as we consider these things, I want to invite the ushers to come forward uh, as we prepare to take the bread. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for who you are and for your word. God, and the reminder of how much you love us, how we belong to you, no matter how 
how often we get it in our heads that you know we we control our own destinies and uh, we can be so puffed up with with pride and arrogance thinking that that we can be so self-sufficient. But God, we, we know that, that that's a myth. It's not true. And so today, we just want to come before you and recognize that, that we belong to you. Not only did you create us, but you have saved us through what Jesus accomplished on the cross for us. So God, we, we just want to take a moment and honor Christ for his sacrificial death on the cross for us in our place for our sin. God, you took on that sin. You took on that pain and suffering, the separation from your heavenly father so that we wouldn't have to experience that. And so God, we just come before you today and want to tell you we are eternally grateful for that. And we want to respond to that with our lives. So God, we just dedicate this time to you and thank you for all that you've done for us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So the Lord Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, took bread and gave thanks and broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. God, we thank you for your broken body on the cross for us. Thank you for your obedience to your heavenly Father and how you came to earth to accomplish that mission. God, thank you for just that, that strength that you displayed in the sacrifice of yourself on the cross for us. God, we honor you for that. And we think of your shed blood that was spilled so that our sins would be forgiven. Jesus, we thank you and pray this in your name. Surrounding God. 
So in the same way, after supper, Jesus took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Lord, we thank you once again for how great and awesome and powerful you are and for how much you love us. God, you have done more for us than we could imagine and far, far more than we could ever do or accomplish on our own. So God, today we just want to put you in the rightful place that you are and that you deserve over us, Lord of our lives. God, each and every day, I just pray that we would be able to follow and walk with you more and more closely so that the world around us would be able to catch just a small glimpse of your glory through us. God, now be with us as Pastor Dan comes and uh, shares from your word about who we are and what we're called to be as your church. God, we love you, and I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. morning. It is great to share this Communion Sunday with you. I want to welcome those of you worshiping in Bay City with us this morning. Uh, today, we want to continue our mission series entitled DNA. DNA, where we've been looking at our five defining values as a church and what makes hope fail, hope fail. Now, these are the values that shape us as a church with things like how we conduct ourselves, how we treat others, how we function as a church family, and how we live out our faith beyond the four walls of our church. So as a review, here are our five defining values. Focus faith, authentic love, mutual respect, shared ministry, and servant leadership. And so week one, we looked at focused faith. Now, focused faith means we want to keep the main thing the main thing, that our core beliefs about the Bible, about Jesus, and about his gospel always need to be front and center in our minds, in our hearts, in our worship, in our teaching. Otherwise, what? Otherwise, we run the risk of secondary matters distracting us from what matters most. Focus Faith then also calls us as a church to unity in the essentials, right? Unity in the essentials. Well, at the same time, though, we need to give each other freedom. Freedom to see things differently when it comes to the non-essentials. Because in all things, we're called to charity. We're called to love. We're called to live out what Jesus called the greatest commandment, to love the God above us, to love the people around us with everything we've got. That's what focused faith in the church looks like. And then last week, we talked about the second of our five essential values, authentic love. Authentic love, which means we want to practice what we preach and put feet to our faith, right? That we don't just want to talk the talk, but we also want to walk 
the walk because we want our love for God, our love for each other in the church and our love for people outside the church to be real, to be genuine, to be honest, to be heartfelt. We want to do all that we can to fight off hypocrisy, which really is the exact opposite of authenticity. Authentic love is also an active love, like we saw last week in 1 John chapter 3, verse 18. Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth, right? Actions in truth. That authentic love is an active love with no strings attached, no demands, I'll do this for you if you do this for me in return. No, authentic love springs from agape love, the sacrificial, unconditional love of God that genuinely desires the best for others. And authentic love in us has to come from the deep places where we ourselves have experienced the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God through Jesus Christ. That because God loves us recklessly, we're able to love others authentically. So that's what we've covered so far in this series. And today, I want to move on to the third of our five essentials. And to do so, I want to begin by talking about something we know as the golden rule. The golden rule. Now, you've probably heard the joke before, right? It goes something like this, that the golden rule is this, he who has the gold makes the rules, right? Pretty clever, huh? Unfortunately, though, there's probably more truth to that than we'd care to admit, that people of wealth, that people in power, they get to operate with a different set of rules than the rest of us, and the results can be devastating. You know, we think of the, the Me Too movement in response to these weekly stories of sexual assault and harassment that involve high-profile people. It makes it all too real. And while the truth of these acts coming to life is a good thing, it's also incredibly sad, it's incredibly infuriating to think that it actually happened in the first place. Now, for some of us on the outside looking in, we might wonder why it went on for so long or why it was even allowed to happen at all, but we know why, don't we? We know why, because he who had the gold was the one making the rules. You want to roll in my movie? then you better play along. You want to advance in this company, then you better not say a word. And so what's an aspiring actress, what's an ambitious businesswoman supposed to do? Speak up and never work again? Or shut up and suffer because there's just too much to lose? Thankfully, some justice is being served as more and more truth keeps coming out. But even more thankfully, there's another golden rule we're called to live by, a different golden rule, a better golden rule, the original golden rule that comes to us from the very words of Jesus. As a matter of fact, Jesus taught this golden rule in his most famous message ever, the Sermon on the Mount. Now, the actual statement of the golden rule comes to us from the New Testament book of Matthew, chapter 7, verse 12. And we'll look at that in a moment. But first, I want to get some context and have us walk through the verses that lead up to it. So in Matthew, chapter 7, verse 7, Jesus is teaching about prayer, and he says this, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks the door will be open. And so Jesus is teaching us as his followers to pray expectantly, not apprehensively. 
Pray expectantly, not apprehensively, right? And, and we pray not so out of a sense of greed, but rather out of a sense of faith, knowing that the God who hears our prayers is a good and gracious God. He is. And to spell that out a little further, Jesus paints this word picture, verse 9. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? Exclamation point. Now, there are a couple things going on in this passage that Jesus often did when he taught. First, he used humor. He used humor. So verse 9, verse 10, he's describing these situations where a son asks for something and dad pulls the old bait and switch. You want some food? Here, have a rock. You want some perch? Here you go. Oh, sorry, that was a python, right? You know? Now, I know a lot of guys in the church here, and I can see you actually doing this to your kids, okay? But you do it as a joke, not out of an act of cruelty, right? Which really leads into the second teaching point that Jesus uses here, verse 11. The, the how much more comparison between the human and the divine. How much more between the human? That if we as earthly dads want to do and give good things to our kids, how much more does our Heavenly Father want to be open-handed and generous with us? It really is a great lesson of how we should view God, of how we should approach Him in prayer, and that if we don't get what we pray for, then He's either withholding it for our own good or He's waiting to give it to us later when we're in a better place to receive it. See, here's the point. God wants us to know that He's for us. God is for you, and his heart toward you is good and kind. This is life in the vertical with God, and once we get a handle on that, we're then in a better position to live life in the horizontal with other people, right? So here it comes, verse 12. So in everything, Jesus says, do to others what you would have them do to you, for this sums up the law and the prophets. This is the golden rule. This is a, it's not about having power and using people. No, it's about seeing people as God sees them, valuable, precious, full of worth, because they are created in his image. And so you and I, we don't have to use other people to get our needs met. Why? Because our Heavenly Father is going to provide everything we need when we need it. That's how those previous verses connect here with the golden rule. And so because you and I can trust God as our provider, we can then authentically love other people and treat them the same way we want them to treat us. So in everything, Jesus says, everything, do to others what you would have them do to you, for this sums up the law and the prophets. This sums up the entirety of Scripture, which it really all comes down to that one word, love. Love. And so with that as our foundation, here is the third of our five essential values, mutual respect. Mutual respect means living out the golden rule by treating others the way we want them to treat us. Living out the golden rule by treating others the way we want them to treat us. Now, to be honest, there was part of me that didn't want to include this one as our five essential values because it seems so simple, so basic, so obvious that, of course, we'd behave this way in the church and out in the world. But then I thought, man, it's dangerous. It's dangerous to presume we'd live that way because thinking about someone else before we think about ourselves is anything but automatic. No, we need to be told about this. We need to be reminded about this, that other people, 
They need to be respected for who they are, not used for what we want from them. See, we need to look to God first to have our needs met, not to people. Do you get that? You and I, we need to look to God first to have our needs met, not to people. And that goes for every possible relationship out there, including marriage. Listen, husbands, wives, singles, if you think that your spouse, a spouse, is going to meet every single one of your deepest needs, then you're signing up for trouble. You really are. Because in the end, it's just going to disappoint you and frustrate them disappoint you and frustrate them, you'll keep wanting more and they'll start wanting out. Why? Because that's just too much pressure to put on another human being. And when you've got unrealistic expectations like that for someone else, you're never going to be able to treat them the way you want to be treated. Never. But if we can start with a foundation of faith and hope and love in Jesus Christ, then we're going to be able to rise above our own self-centeredness. We're going to be able to truly start thinking about the other person. I love the way the Apostle Paul speaks to this in Philippians chapter 2 when he talks about mutual respect in the church and what that looks like in the relationships that we have with each other. So Philippians chapter 2, beginning in verse 1, Paul writes this, Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion... If, 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 with the implication for Christians being, of course you have this, right? In Christ you have this. So indeed, if all this is true for every one of you in the church, then, verse 2, he says, make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. To me, this verse screams the value of focused faith, right? That we need to be like-minded in the essentials. We need to pursue unity around the die force, to have the same love, to be one in spirit and of one mind. We're to make this our goal as a church. And this is how we're going to do it. Verse 3, the call to mutual respect. Do nothing, Paul writes, out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. In other words, treat them the way you want to be treated. With respect, with kindness, with patience, with compassion, with empathy, with understanding. Draw from the deep well of Jesus' great love within you and extend that love to the person right in front of you. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. In other words, Paul says, don't make everything about you because it's not. It's not rather in humility, value them above yourselves. Don't just look about your own interests, but look to the interest of others. This is mutual respect in action. This is mutual respect at its best. And this is what we're shooting for. And it's got to start with us. It's got to start with us. So let's get practical about this value of mutual respect. What's it going to look like if we start living by the golden rule and treating others the way we want them to treat us? Well, I've got three specific action steps I want to share with you, and I need to say that these three steps are far from comprehensive of everything we could possibly do to show each other mutual respect. But it's a great place to start. So here we go. Now, this first one goes back to a series we did last spring on navigating life's conflicts called Collision Course. If you weren't here for that series, or even if you were, I'd encourage you to go to our website and watch those messages on working through relational conflict because there's a lot of very practical Bible teaching that's built upon this principle of mutual respect. 
One example I want to highlight from this series has to do with apologizing when we've wronged someone else. Apologizing when we've wronged someone else. And what makes a good apology? After all, if someone has wronged us, we're hoping that they're going to apologize to us, right? And so when we're the offender, we need to be able to apologize well. So what does a good apology look like? Three components. Say it specifically. Own it completely. Mean it sincerely. Say it specifically. Own it completely. Mean it sincerely. Say it specifically. Don't just say, sorry, I was a jerk. You know, say, sorry, I have done this or said this specific thing to you in this tone of voice. And name that thing. I was wrong that I acted in this certain way towards you. Don't be vague. Spell it out. Which then leads to this next one. Own it completely, right? Take responsibility for your actions. No ifs, ands, or buts. No denials, no excuses, no downplaying, no blame shifting. Don't water it down with a passive statement like mistakes were made. Don't put it back on the other person. Well, if you hadn't said what you did, then I wouldn't have done this. No. Own it completely means you look at the other person and you say, I did this to you and I was wrong. End of story. And then finally, mean it sincerely, right? That's where the I'm sorry part of an apology comes in, right? That what you're feeling in your heart is lining up with what you're saying with your lips. Now, sometimes our feelings have to catch up with our words. So don't wait for the emotions to come before you apologize. No, sometimes saying I'm sorry is what jumpstarts our feelings. But whenever those feelings come, a good apology is a sincere apology. Say it specifically, own it completely, mean it sincerely. Three components of a good apology and one very practical way for us to live out this value of mutual respect. And so whether it's a friendship, whether it's a marriage, whether it's in a family or it's in the church, maybe your practical takeaway this week is a good apology. A good apology, that in the words of the Apostle Paul where he commands us in a spirit of humility to value others above yourselves, you know what? It's going to take humility on our part to apologize well. It does. To kill that ugly monster of pride within us that'll fight against apology, apologizing for something, right? All its might. And yet if you know Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord, his forgiveness is going to free you up to own up to your selfish and hurtful actions. See, that's the power of communion and, and such a strong reminder for us. And so as we're humble before God about our own sins and our own shortcomings, it's going to free us up to be honest with others as well. Golden rule living means we apologize well. Beyond that, there are a couple other practical ways we can live out this value of mutual respect. Here's another. Include don't exclude. Include, don't exclude. That living out the golden rule isn't just limited to people we like. God, it'd be a lot easier if it was, right? If we could just be a little more ex exclusive about it, right? To respect the people we know who are going to respect us back. To help out the ones we know who would help us out if we were in a pinch, right? I mean, if you could limit it like that, we could probably pull it off, don't you think? But the golden rule isn't just limited to our people. It isn't just limited to our tribe, to our clique. No, the command is universal. And in case we think otherwise, Jesus is going to challenge us with these penetrating words from Matthew chapter 5, verse 46. He says this, 
If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even the pagans do that. Do you remember earlier how I said that Jesus occasionally used humor in his teaching? Well, Jesus wasn't afraid to throw a little sarcasm in now and, now and again as well. Really. I mean, look at what he's saying here. He's saying, you know, if your standard for loving people is to love those who are going to love you back, then you've got a pretty low standard. You do. I mean, even those traitorous tax collectors that you utterly despise, they do that too. They do that too. So that's going to be your standard. It's like you can hear Jesus giving them this little pathetic golf clap, right? Oh, you love those who love. Good for you. Here, have a trophy, right? You know? It's like, no. And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? The answer is nothing. Even the godless pagans who have no sense of moral absolutes whatsoever, they do that. Come on, Jesus says. Life in my kingdom it isn't about getting away with the bare minimum. No, what's it about? Verse 48, be perfect, therefore, your heavenly Father, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Right? That's the standard. It's not what people around us are doing. It's what our God is doing. Now, this verse trips up a lot of people because it says that, they say that Jesus is telling us to do the impossible, right? Do the impossible. That he's commanding us to live perfect lives in the same way that God our Heavenly Father is perfect. But that's not the intention of this verse. No, the passage, really, the entire chapter here, Jesus is challenging the religious mindset that thinks, what is the least I can do and still get a passing grade, right? That religious mindset that says, what's the least I can do and still get a passing grade. And Jesus says, you got it all wrong. Don't settle for the minimum, but shoot for the maximum. And no, we're never going to be perfect like our Heavenly Father is perfect, but it's His unconditional, sacrificial, agape love that we're trying to imitate. He's the goal. He's the standard. How's that verse go? God so loved His favorite people. God so loved all people. God so loved the world. God so loved everyone that he gave his one and only son, Jesus, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. And so just like him, we got to be inclusive, not exclusive when it comes to the golden rule. We need to treat all people, not some people, the way we want them to treat us, even if they are different than us, right? So I think the value of mutual respect speaks to this whole challenge of race in our country in our community. Because the golden rule, it's got to cut across all racial lines. It does. Now, we don't have time to look at it today, but James chapter 2 in the New Testament confronts this whole idea of favoritism and us treating people differently. Now, back then, James was addressing social and economic inequality, but the principle is the same when it comes to race. This time last year, on a Sunday night, I shared the stage with Hurley Coleman, a prominent African-American pastor in our community. And as we talked about Christianity and race, he brought up this very passage, James chapter 2. He talked about what it's like to walk into a church and to be treated differently based upon your appearance. It was devastating to hear. And while this still may be going on in certain pockets of our culture today, it's not going to happen here. That's not what we're about. No, we need to treat everyone 
with the respect they deserve as God's very handiwork and with the same kind of respect we want to be treated with in return. Mutual respect, it includes, not excludes, right? Here's the third principle. Initiate, don't hesitate. Initiate, don't hesitate. Living out the golden rule means we don't wait for someone else to make the first move, right? Listen, we're all scorekeepers at heart. I get that. Scorekeepers and grudge holders. And so while I think maybe we'd try to give mutual respect a shot to live the golden rule, there's still a justice part in us that thinks it's unfair to treat others respectfully if they're never going to return the favor back to us in return, right? Something doesn't seem right. Why? Because for, for, for centuries, for generations, civilization has operated by the law of revenge, the law of retaliation, eye for an eye, tooth for a truth. In other words, treat others the way they treat you, right? That's been the standard. But that's not the golden rule. That's not mutual respect. Now, we can't settle for the minimum. We need to shoot for the maximum, which means we got to lead the way. Again, back to the words of Jesus from the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5. Look at what he says here in verse 23. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them, then come and offer your gift. So Jesus takes us into the setting of worship. It was 2018. He'd say, hey, if you find yourself in church on a Sunday, and there remember that your brother or sister in the faith has something against you, go deal with it, right? Don't put it off. Try to make it right. Now, I gotta admit, there's part of me when I read this passage that says, isn't that their job? I mean, if they're the ones who has the problem with me, shouldn't they be the one who comes to, comes to me, right? Ideally, yes, I suppose should work that way, but we don't live in an ideal world, and we can't control the behavior of other people. See, God doesn't hold us res responsible for what they're going to do, but he does make us accountable for what we should do. Because if the roles were reversed, we would want them to come to us, so we should treat them with the same kind of respect. I think of the words of the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 13, where he paints this beautiful portrait of love. And smack dab in the middle of that chapter, verse 5, he makes this simple statement. That love keeps no record of wrongs. Love keeps no record of wrongs. Mutual respect doesn't hold back because they've done more to you than you've done to them. That's scorekeeping. No, the reason you and I can initiate the golden rule is because we'll start by looking up to God, not looking out to them. We start by looking up to God, not looking out to them. And when we look up to God, first we're reminded how much he loves us and that he was the one who took the initiative by giving us his son, Jesus. And as we look up first and think about how he is so gracious to us, it'll soften our hearts, it'll grow our empathy for that other person. It might give us greater insight and compassion to what they might be going through. I think the saying is true that we need to be kind. Why? Because everyone is fighting some kind of battle we know nothing about. And the golden rule gets our eyes off ourselves and says, you know, instead of waiting for the other person to come to us because, you know, they've done more to us than we've done to them, no. Initiate. Don't hesitate. Let us be the ones who make the first move. The first move to extend love. The first move to respect to treat people in our lives the way we want them 
to treat us. And so when it comes to mutual respect, apologize well. Include, don't exclude. Initiate, don't hesitate. These are just three ways we can live out the golden rule with those around us. And so as we close, I want to encourage you to pay attention to which one of these really stuck with you today. Because I got to believe that as I was walking through these specific examples, there was one where a name came to mind for you. You could see their face, you could picture the relationship, you could feel the tension. Maybe it's at work, maybe it's at school, maybe it's at home, maybe it's in a friendship, maybe it's right here in church. Whatever the situation might be, don't ignore the moment. Reach out in love, reach out in respect. You know, and as you do, as scary as it might be, God's going to be with you every step of the way. He is, and I truly believe that as you apologize or as you include or as you uh, initiate, God is going to honor your attempt to live out the golden rule. He will. And he's going to bless that situation. He's going to heal that relationship beyond your wildest dreams. Why? Because that's the kind of God we worship. So let's be that kind of people. Let's be the kind of church that doesn't just talk about this value, but we live it out. We live out this golden rule that Jesus gave us to treat others the way we want them to treat us. Let's pray together. And Lord, what a Sunday to think about this. That with communion, as our eyes go vertical to you, as we think about a Savior who died in our place, how can we not but look horizontally and treat others the way we want to be treated? to not look to our own interests, but also to the interests of others, to put to death selfish ambition and vain conceit. And instead of looking at people as objects to be used, give us the eyes to see them as your handiwork to be loved. Fill us with such great grace, Lord, that we can't help but overflow that love to those around us. Father, we pray together for that one specific situation, that one unique relationship where maybe an apology is in order, where maybe we need to be more inclusive or maybe we just need to take a first step and go to a person and say, hey, is there something wrong between us? And God, that we would not live eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth kind of lives. That we would not just, you know, settle for the minimum, but shoot for the maximum to live out the preciousness of this golden rule. So God, let us be those kind of people. Let us be that kind of church. And as we do, loving one another and telling the world that because of that, we belong to you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Will you stand as Ellie leads us in response to what we've heard? Bowing here 
Yesterday, uh, we're at home, uh, we're making dinner, and I don't remember all the details, but um, I snapped back at my dear wife, Kathy, with a rather harsh tone, and uh, not my finest moment. We talked about it later on, and everything within me had the reasons why it happened and why it wasn't really my fault, and you know, blah, 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 blah. And it's like, wait, God, the, the message is for the people tomorrow, not for me today, right? <laughs> Apologize well. And so God in his grace led me to that moment. And so as we were singing that song as a close, I thought there's never a time when we can't sing that song. Wherever we might be in life, we need the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ in our lives to be the kind of people he wants us to be. And it's in that weakness, it's in that admission where we are made strong. And so that's my encouragement to you. Don't let pride get in the way of whatever God is leading you to do, to say, be that person. And in your weakness, find his strength. Next week, we're going to continue our series. We're going to talk about shared ministry and the value that God has for us as a church and a place for everyone. But as you go from here, may you go in humble dependence on our great God. God bless you.